hello and welcome to episode 66 of Hearty Dice Friends. In case you're interested, 66 in bingo terminology is clickety-click. My name's Grant Howitt. I'm calling the shots, by which I mean calling the bingos. And out there in the tables with his big pen and paper with numbers on it, it's Christopher Taylor. Hello. I've not got any numbers yet. Oh, no. well, you've got 66. Oh, i got one. Oh, that's good. That's something. Why are you so obsessed with bingo at the moment? We've been having bingo conversations all day. I just <laughs> all week. I mean, I'm in. Well, I mean, perhaps we can make it a new uh, a new mechanic in our next role playing game. <laughs> you play an an an, an aging lady just just playing bingo to while away the days. Hmm. Well, maybe. Or we have it as a mechanic for you know gunfights. <laughs> I've been shot in the twelve. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, and they do have those big pens. You are right. They've got those big, those big blotter pens to save time. Yeah. I um, in, in case you're not aware, if you're if if you're not a, a British person, uh, we have a uh, we have a rich culture of nicknames for the numbers in bingo, which is a game where numbers are called and then you're given a sheet of paper, and if you get, I think I have to get a line across, don't you? Yeah, you have to have a contiguous line. Yeah, you have to have, to have a contiguous line. Um, and then you, and then you win, and you shout bingo, or you shout house. You scream it to a hall of people, all desperately trying to do it as well. Mm. And it's the worst thing in the world. It's it's slow motion lottery, and it's not that bad. Yeah, it's just awful. It's fun. not. The, it's not. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not like getting your legs eaten off by a tiger. No, but it is the worst thing you can do in a hall. What about shitting out a lung? That'd be worse in a hall. Yeah, but it doesn't happen in halls very often. It's not. It's not scheduled. That's true. Yeah, there's, so a it's, very, it's the wor- there's a very specific rotor for who gets access to the to the town hall. Mm. Okay, exorcisms. <laughs> they happen in halls. Yes, that's true. Oh, actually, sorry, school assemblies. There you go. I think bingo is worse than school assemblies because I once had a school oh. assembly with a badger. That's true. They very rarely show up at bingo, right? <laughs> Why was there a badger there? Because I lived in a rural school, so they brought a badger along, so we knew what badgers were like. Oh, I see. I, I figured that one just got in. No, no, no. Started st- st- going through the bins. Big old fluffy badger came and they're, snuffled around all the kids. Aren't they horrendously angry? Only if they're angered. If you fuck up, fuck them. If you fuck <laughs> you with them, fuck a badger. Yeah, it's gonna get pissed. <laughs> all right, kids. Now listen. When you're growing up, your body's your body's gonna go through a lot of changes. But the most important thing you must do is never fuck with a badger. <laughs> but no, this was like a two foot long badger. Okay. Just, like, I was expecting, when I saw it, I thought it was going to stay in its cage. Yeah. It did not do that. It got out and had a... a they let it, like, it domesti- out. Was it domesticated? Yeah. They let it out, yeah. and it had a snuffle around all the kids. That's kind of fun. I, I know, kind of dig that. I got to fuss a badger. Oh, A thing which you can rarely do in real life, on, a, on account of them taking your fucking hand off. They're essentially owlbears of the real world. Well, they've got rage, haven't they, in D&D? Yeah. That's kind, that's kind of all I know. I learned most of my knowledge about badgers from Bodger and Badger and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> what a show Bodger and Badger was. It was it was the worst shit available. It was terrible. It was like a poor man's basil brush. Well, like, he was obsessed with mashed potato, but never had... He never mashed a potato. No. He'd, he, he liked reconstituted dried potatoes. Yeah, it was all, it was guess, all smash. I, I guess he was a fucking puppet. It didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. They don't have rights. Aren't badgers carnivores anyway? Uh, omnivores, I think. Oh, okay. So they get away. I, like, don't know. Probably... I... I, you know what? I'd guess omnivores. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I guess like he need he need a more varied diet. I guess I guess he'd get very anemic and sick looking <laughs> off just mashed potatoes. Yeah, not a lot of nutrition. That that that, that badger has scurvy. Yeah, that is a uh, that's, that's why it wears the shirt to cover all those horrible <laughs> the shirt and hat to cover the to cover the suppurating scurvy holes. Oh. All right, that's an intro, isn't it? Ask me some questions. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Monday. Here we are. Fans asks, how do you make Call of Cthulhu monsters scary when everyone already knows what they're about? Because this is a huge problem with Cthulhu. Well, if if we're following the example of bears, you've got to try and get the characters to fuck them. <laughs> Not bears, sorry, badgers. I already said bears because, and I should, you know, I have the word, I have the word bears written down on a piece of paper on my desk to remind me of something. Useful. Yeah. Um. So, like, if um, let's let's let's, let's try and have that as a as as, a, as an actual piece of advice. Okay. Um. Let's, let's maybe maybe force the players to get intimate with them, and not not in a not in a fucking um... way, but like but like but like you have to um you have to. Like get something out of their body. That's true. That's horrendous. Um, but I mean, I think idea behind the question is that mm. you're being chased by a, a flying creature. Okay. And people just go, "Oh, biky, you mean?" Well, oh yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, a a mygo, you mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. It depends how big it is. They fly, right? Yeah. It depends yeah. how big it is. Well, is, is a biky like a big old like flying worm space horse? Thing? Sorry, space horse. I'm not quite up to date on the old. Um, I say up to date. I'm not down <laughs> with the 1920s mythos of Hewlett Packard Lovecraft. When you say, so, I know about star vampires, which are just explosions. Yeah. So a biochi a biochi is essentially like if you took an emaciated dragon right. that was built on the frame of a horse. Hmm. Like they're bipedal, but they've got long horse-like features that are all. Stretched and skeletal. Okay, and you slap so it's like it's a wyvern because it's bipedal. Kind of, yeah. Right, um, okay. But they and they fly. I was about to say interdimensionally, but that's not true. They fly between cosmos. Inter interstellar. Inter, yes, they they do interstellar flight. So people mm-hmm. use them as mounts. <laughs> of course, of course, to get them places, um, and they summon them to attack. Does it not take ages? <laughs> yeah, just like two, two and a half, three thousand years. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So, 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 you've got this this ill-looking horse flapping after you. Yeah. And they're like, it's a bike, yawn, whatever. Yeah. Or like, um, a bipedal monster comes out of the out of the sea, and I'm like, do you mean a deep one? Yes, a deep one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, hello. How do you make them interesting again? How do you put the fear back into we don't know what that is? Well, you make it up. <laughs> yeah. It's one thing. Um, but also um, one, one one thing which 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 I've really enjoyed in my game design um, career is to take a take take a normal monster and then think well how can we change it how can we invert it yeah so so like so like if you've got deep ones how can they be different yeah and like and like and like you don't have to change the whole sort of you know fish mouth sort of thing but you could but you could change where you'd find them that sort of thing yeah that could work. Do you mean like freshwater deep ones? Perhaps, yeah. Like, like in in lakes, different different breeds of deep ones. I was thinking that they um, they stir away and form a cult on a fishing ship. That'd be but quite that's not cool. really that's not really a surprise because that's where you expect them. But like down in the hold of the fishing ship, you've got like the fucking brood mother down there, and um, they're using all of their deep one magic to ensure they have a, a mighty catch every time they come home 
but they, but occasionally they they have to like hit pitch someone over the side into into the waters. See, that's nice. That's changing up how deep ones right, work. That, it's honestly, it's exactly the same way that deep ones work, except I put it in a boat. Yeah, but I mean, that's not <laughs> what you're expecting to be because they're they're aquatic creatures. That's true. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you expect them to hang out downstairs in the sea. Yeah. Rather than be on a boat. But like when when you've got like a, a what looks like a drifting vessel mm. that's replete with fish, mm. and you go on board. Sewers. Sewers is another. Sewers one. Sewers is a good one. Or like 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 um storm drains and inlets that sort of thing. Yeah. What do you think? I, I, I went um, what's the word? I went urban exploring. I went urbexing. <laughs> Don't call in, it urbexing. Um, it sounds like a credit card, doesn't yeah. it? I went, um, I went, I went urban exploring when I was in when I when I moved to Australia. Uh, like the first couple of weeks, I was there, and they took us through all the storm drains. It was quite recently after a rain, and quite aside from the deadly Australian spiders just casually hanging at face height. Yeah, um, the fact, there were a lot of eels just knocking about in puddles. Eels, eels. I hate just eels. In- but in puddles where I was walking, and it's like I'm used to eels being in rivers and ponds. Cool, that's where you are, my boys. I understand that. But it was like the eels there. So, oh, is is it okay? Yeah, it'll be fine. Just gonna hang out until it rains again. Just don't get bit. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, it's really, the eels are disgusting creatures. Yeah, they're like they're like the problems that everyone has with snakes. But you can't see them because they're in water. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I one of my problems with snakes is I can't see them. Yeah. And then there's those there's those really deep eels, with the big eyes. Yeah, your um, what are they? Your conga eel, uh, your moray yeah. eel. Morays, that's it. Yeah, it's grotesque. Yeah. So there's a good Lovecraftian monster. More eels. Eel. Yeah, just eels up inside you. Just, just, just more eels than you wanted. Yeah. So I mean, one way to make um, going back to the topic, one way to make Cthulhu monsters more scary is to not describe them well. Ah, the old Hewlett Lovecraft trick. Yes, but like mm. if you've got a deep one suddenly jumping out of somewhere. Yeah. All you've got is a big face in front of you with full of teeth mm. that looks like looks like an anglerfish. Yeah. And you just don't describe all of them because that's not what you see. It's like the um, the issue they have when they're getting witness statements. Like, mm. well, what does the guy look like? I have no idea, but I could tell you what exactly what sort of knife he was using. Yeah. You're only going to see the dangerous bits. Mm. You're only going to remember the dangerous bits. Yeah. So just focus on those and let the rest kind of fade out and it becomes harder to pinpoint exactly what it is. Yeah. And also, um, don't have anyone in the fiction refer to them by their mythos name, as it were. So don't say, oh, that's one of the deep ones. Yeah. Oh, that, oh that's one of the fishy folk. Oh, that's one of the wet boys. <laughs> that sort of thing, you know? <laughs> the soggy misters. <laughs> Why, that's Captain Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, That's old the, Fish McDuke. <laughs> the, the other idea I had just now is to is to take the mythos monster that you want to use in the plot and replace it replace its outer experience its outer uh, appearance entirely with a different monster. Okay, so just shell it with a different monster. Yeah. So put so like so like those are deep ones, but they look like shoggoths. Okay, that works. Those are deep ones, but they look like. Um, star vampires, they probably go out. <laughs> but actually, no, no. You know what? Those are deep ones, and they they emerge these sort of, like these these fizzing, hissing balls of balls of burning gas, and take people away to do something to them. Yeah, well, it looked like a flare underwater, wouldn't it? Just all those yeah. bubbles and bright light. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a cool image. That's really good. Yeah, I'm down with that. Well done, Grant. 
Thank you. You're investigating. You're investigating a mysterious cult in in New York City. You uh, you go down. You go down to the basement, and it turns out through dark magic, they've um, turned one of the members into a sort of dragon horse, <laughs> which flaps about after. <laughs> you're fascinated by these now, aren't you? The Bayaki. Bayaki. It's a good name. It is. All right. I, I I think we actually helped. I think we did. I feel good about it. Do you feel good about it? I feel strange about it. Can you give me a question which will definitely not help anyone, please? Fine. Moonmen asks, what's your favourite game? Ah, this is useless. Utterly you, useless. Did, did Moonmen write in, or is this a Reddit this one? This is a Reddit one. Okay. I don't know what my favourite game is. No, oh, that's why I thought it was quite an interesting question. Like, I think that, like, it's, it's... It's very easy to be like, well, I don't have a favorite game. Mm-hmm. I think every game is like, you know, it's a bit like having a favorite album. Yes. It's like, oh, well, I like different things all the time, which is actually incorrect. My favorite album is Drink the Sea by the Glitch Mob. <laughs> that's, just, that's just objectively the best album ever released. But I don't know. I mean, I really like Dogs in the Vineyard. It is a very good game. It's a very good game. It's very clever. Um, that's there's a lot of Vincent D. Baker before he got or D. Vincent Baker before he got a bit edgy in there. A lot of his more recent stuff, like on, lot of, honestly, a lot of anything past Apocalypse World seems like he's trying to be a bit. Um, why didn't you go fuck this insect? Sort of thing. <laughs> it's just like it's like a little bit too, a little bit tryhard. So it's like it's 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 that comfortable down home D. Vincent Baker we all know and love doing like like finding his way around game design, and it tells a story beautifully and elegantly. It is, I think. In terms of like, I, I I would love to achieve something of that magnitude. Yeah, I think. How about you? I, well, just carrying on with yours for the minute. I think mm. Dogs is one of the games, only one of the games I've ever played, where I felt tense for the entirety of of the game. We had to keep deliberately breaking character. Yeah. To discuss what was going on, it was it was weirdly tense the whole time. I guess because there was no safety. No, there's no safety. Anybody can escalate at any time. Yeah, and you there's this wonderful push pull mechanic. If you want to escalate, because that would be cool, mm. versus not wanting to escalate because you don't want somebody to die. Yeah, like another player character to die. Yeah, and it's really interesting, start to finish, and it, it's, it's it's exhausting. It's got it's got a neat setting, yeah, but the, the setting in the game takes background to the character negotiations. Yeah, for, for sure. It's like well, it's basically America, yeah. Yeah, go knock yourself out. And like you're basically Christian, yeah. Go. Even the even the plots of the adventure kind of take mm. secondary to the fifteen minute conversation you're going to have when mm. you meet somebody and how tense do you want to make this? Well, it's like it's a it's a bit like a zombie film in that respect, actually. In that it's like the actual zombie, you know, like obviously the zombies aren't the real threat. The zombies are there to make like to push people to extremes. Mm. And the sin and the the uh, the villages that you go and explore and try and in inverted commas fix, those are providing a backdrop to push you to extremes and and, and have you like like at the end of at the end of, of our game, someone shot me and then healed me back to life. Yeah, because uh, over a disagreement about divorce. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was another player character. But like yeah, it, was, it was certainly powerful. I've seen um, self done adventures of dogs mm. where there's a clear villain. No, and there's like, a, there is a, a clear bad guy and no. clear other bad guy minions that mm. n- you wouldn't feel bad shooting. No, you're gonna feel terrible shooting everyone. Yeah, it's shooting someone. This isn't D and D. No, you've got to make every bullet count, and I really like that. Can I guess what your favorite game is? 
you'll probably get it right. Delta Green. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's Delta Green. It really Why? is. Why is it Delta Green? I, I grew up hard loving X-Files. <laughs> Just hard in, a, loving. in a real dangerous way. Yeah, that's true. I never quite got into it that way. And like, I, I came to it late, I think, is yeah. the issue. It was already kind of dated. Like, I have all the DVDs. I had mm. most of the videos when it was VHS. Mm. Um, I have the trading cards. I have had a 16... I have a 16 foot by 22 foot poster in my loft. Mm-hmm. That's big for those of you yes. having problems with scale. 16 foot? Yeah. Where are you going to put it? I don't know, but I want to put it somewhere. I want a house with a How? mezzanine. Why did, you, why, why did you get a 16 foot poster? That's a banner. It is a banner. Uh, it's a banner designed to go between two floors of a cinema. Right. And it's from when we lived in Norwich. We had a friend who worked in the cinema. Oh. And uh, was it for the X-Files film? Yeah. And really? I said, if there's any X-Files merchandise going, I'll have it. <laughs> and he said, well, I've got a very big poster. And I wow. saw it went, I, I will be there in 10 minutes. Wow. That is very big. It's massive. I mean, come to think of it, you could probably just live under it. I, it would make a too big tent. <laughs> I guess it, it'd make a too big tent and you'd have a massive Julian Anderson staring down at you while you tried to sleep no negatives no negatives well I guess also a massive ageing Duchovny staring down at you that's fine I'm okay they've not that. aged they've not aged equally well no no Duchovny's but can you imagine hard. how difficult this was getting this into my loft as a place yeah. to store well, it I, I don't know how it fought. one wonders why you fucking did it not only that I took it from Norwich mm. on a roof rack Down here. I love the X-Files. Like, but like, it wasn't even one of the good bits of it, the, the film that was released when we were at uni. I love X-Files. Okay. And Delta okay. Green scratches that itch marvellously. Yeah, that's true. It is so wonderful. They've got so many nice little addendums to the plot. Mm-hmm. Like, Addendi? Yeah, I don't know. Um, like green boxes, the concept of green boxes, like stash locations for their agents across the world, and mm. and they're just there for like they're a rent they're, they're a renter garage, mm. and and the last crew that was through dumps uh, dumps stuff in it, so you don't know what's in there. Like mm. there could be three shotgun shells and a hat, <laughs> or there could be a nailed shut coffin with a post-it yeah. note on it saying "Do not open." I'm a huge fan of that. It's, it's it's such a lovely way of being of, of of giving of giving the players something to play with. Yes, um, and it has more variety than Call of Cthulhu can can muster. Oh yeah, um, because you've got a backing agency, whether it's mm. part of the legal or illegal conspiracy point. Yeah, um, you've got this background group. Um, you could be sent anywhere. Yeah. Rather, yeah, rather than just having to be like, well, me and my me and my nineteen twenties flapper jazz friend girls want to go and explore my love tap. Yes, exactly. So they go to one place. They go to New York, say, find a clue, and then go to Peru mm. because that's that's the clue. They could be sent on a mission in Peru. The, the thing that struck me very strange about Master My Love Tap, and that was it, how much was it for the PDF? So the new version comes out uh, first of this month, I believe, and it's sixty dollars mm-hmm. for the PDF. That's a, that's a spicy meatball. 140 for the two books. Bloody hell. Well, it's essentially, that's... if you think about it, it's the concept is it's $30 per book PDF right. put into right. one okay. big PDF. Yeah, I suppose. So. And it is big. I, um... It's 666 plus pages. Oh, nice. We were, we're, we're playing at the moment. 
with, with, with a completely dark group I'm in, mm. and uh, one of the uh, w- one of the players said, "Yeah, I just noticed something about this. It really doesn't expect any of the players to have to have jobs, does it? No, and the player Everybody has to be independently wealthy, but like independently wealthy. Yep, which is fascinating because uh, because like you couldn't like you couldn't even get the time off to go and do Master Night Life, let alone support yourself while you have the time off." Exactly, and that's why some of the other mega campaigns kind of take care of that. Mm. Um, so, for instance, Eternal Lies for Trail of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. The person who hires you gives you an all-expenses-paid budget. Oh, fantastic. Don't worry about money. Well, you, right. I'll give you a plane and a pilot. Yeah. Um, and they say, look, quit your jobs. Mm. I'll pay. Trust me. Yeah. And, Everything's going to be fine, and that gives you that backing organization. And Delta spoiler, spoiler alert: it's not fine. It is fine. It's absolutely fine. But Delta Green gives you that backing and that motivation yeah. without the right money, from the top. and yeah. it builds in the concept of how you're managing your job mm. and how you're managing your family life and how that's going to shit. Mm. And that's so good. Mm. So good. Yeah. It's it's solid. It it it, it gets around. It, it gets around a, a lot of the traditional problems with the whole sort of no, I don't go in the building. Bye. Yeah. Uh, in investigation issues, it's like I don't want to go in the building, but I, I I've sworn to keep this country safe. Yeah, I've got personal reasons for doing it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's currently two active versions of Delta Green. There's the BRP mm. one, which is I think the best BRP one, the best version of BRP going. Fair. They've made a couple of tweaks. I'm not saying it's perfect because it's still BRP. Yep. Um, and then there's Fall of Delta Green, which is Trail of Cthulhu, which is Pilgrim mm. Process One, and that is astonishing. Yeah, it's top notch. I was really impressed. I, I had a look when uh, Chris picked it up uh, about a month ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I had a look when I was over at his house, and it's really beautifully produced. I was very impressed. And they've, they've done so many good things with the system and the setting, and they picked the right time frame for it. It's during the Fall of Delta Green, obviously. When That's the name. Yeah, um, and so you, you're it's around the era of Vietnam. Mm. So good. Anyway, yes, that's my favourite mm. game. Yeah, good. Okay, that's nice. Th- those are our favourite games. There you go. Doot doot. <laughs> Ask me a question, Grant. Gunner, a mysterious stranger smiles in your direction, then languidly cocks their head, directing your gaze upwards between the slanted roofs of, of the favela to the contrail of a biplane, which is written in the sky, a question. How would you manage a game where one player character has a disproportionate power in terms of ability or influence on the narrative? For example, a rogue trader in a game of rogue trader. Carefully. That's a long sky message. That is a very long sky message. If that's if that's what thirty pounds a letter. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd probably get a banner. Yeah, that would be easier. For that, 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 that's, <laughs> Flying that's past work. your window and it just scrolls like an enormous ticker. <laughs> Oh, I've missed it. Can you go by again? I missed the last couple. <laughs> I was writing it down. <laughs> um, Chris, how, how do you do it? Carefully, yeah? Carefully, because if you've got... Like, if you're doing a boat game, let's say mm-hmm. a boat game, and one person is the captain who can... A lot, inf- of, lot of boat stuff this week. A lot of boat stuff. Boats um, on the brain. Who can override other players. Mm. In some instances, I think that's fine because that makes an interesting dynamic. If your game is about the players on the ship, like mm. reacting to bad weather and pirates yeah. and whatnot, then fine, because you you can then override the captain with a show of arms, yeah. arguing interpersonal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But when you've got somebody like a rogue trader, where it's like, well, I'll have you executed. Like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, we we had this problem. We were uh, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a a a, a player problem, but it, I'm sorry, a single player. We were playing Inquisitor. You flash back to first year, Chris. Okay. Lads in um, called Oggy ran a game of Inquisitor using the Games Workshop Inquisitor system, which wasn't good for tabletop wargaming. It was shit for role playing. But you know, he had a go. And um, we were all playing effectively junior Inquisitors. There are no ranks of Inquisitor, is the other thing. You're an Inquisitor, and then if a load of people say so, you're a Lord Inquisitor. Right. And it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> you just you just are an Inquisitor. And Inquisitors have absolute unfettered resource to literally everything in the Imperium if they want it. Yeah. And I don't think Oggie was truly aware of that, because, um, because like we, we called up some people for an extraction from a burning building, and they were like... Whether we should come and get you, we're kind of busy. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna have your family kill. Put the next guy on. I just had his family kill. Come and pick us up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you've got unlimited resources like that, <laughs> it's, it's really silly at that point. And Augie had to sort of like power us down a bit. But yeah, and I think that um, if you've got if you've got the kind of power a rogue trader has, comparing that to the kind of man who has a gun is very different. Yeah, it's 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 like having a party that that exists where there exists a librarian mm-hmm. um, a guy who works in the local shop mm-hmm. a cyclist okay. and a space marine yes or as it's known black crusade <laughs> <laughs> that's a very niche joke black crusade lets lets you play space marines and non-space marines in the same party and for point of reference space marines are eight foot tall wear inch thick armor and kill you yeah they just and win they just they just win. They actually use slightly different rules. They have a, they have handheld anti tank cannons. Yes, yes. The 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 most basic weapon they can carry is a uh, semi automatic grenade launcher. Yeah, that is there. So burst fire, I believe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the lowest damage weapon they are allowed to carry, and uh, and they expect you just to hang out with some dude who thinks chaos is all right. <laughs> yeah, and like they're equipped with what one leg and a spoon. Yeah, wow, a spoon, Lardy da. They found. I mean, the, the space marine dropped it. <laughs> oh, sorry. So it's an Astartes grade spoon. There's no <laughs> way a human could lift an Astartes grade spoon. Would, their fingers would crack under the power. Yeah. So you have to be, like I say, you have to be real careful with power mm. dynamics. Um, it can be fun if it's very localized. Into I think the party. also if it's one shot. You, yeah. you're better off doing that because if it's one shot you like you can have effectively in terms of in terms of role playing those bits in a in a game where let's say like you have a little sidekick you send the sidekick through a little door and then and then they go ahead and flick a switch at the end mm. you know like boy go boy climb up there and kick down the chain boy and you go and do that, and that's kind of the equivalent. So it'd be like, oh, we need someone to talk. I can talk. No, 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 Space Marine. You're the most. You're like you can't. You physically can't remove your terrifying helmet anymore. <laughs> please, your meat is bound to, to it. <laughs> um, and so, and like, and, and so, giving everyone a thing to do, and also playing off like the uh, the 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 power, like the captain's authority, and having that rebuffed over a one shot is kind of interesting. Lady Blackbird does it very well. Mm. Uh, but in in any sort of campaign play, that's going to get real old real fast. Yeah, and it's it's such a a useful thing to have the road trader in this example as an NPC. Yeah, 
Because you say, you lot, go and do this for me. I'm going to go and drink gin. I'm going to do other shit. I'm going to wax my moustache. Mm. Yeah. And my legs. <laughs> well, like, he's going to wax the hair on his legs like he would wax his moustache. Yes. And curl it up delightfully. <laughs> you know, he likes to be slick. I like this guy already. Yeah. I like to imagine that that like like he's got he's got the full rogue trader regalia, but just capris, <laughs> just lying on a chaise lounge, just pouring soup from a tureen into his mouth, <laughs> but like not not close to his mouth, like a foot away, with like with a ladle he's holding at the end of the ladle. Yeah, uh, very hot. Oh, mm. delicious! Like it's slopping on his eyelids. Mm, I've beast all over my doublet. <laughs> Yes, so use them as NPCs rather than players if yeah. it's going to be a long-term thing and try and keep everybody on a rough playing field. Or do, or do it a one-shot thing or actually say to the players up front, say, hey, so you've got different levels of, 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 you've got different levels of authority and power in this situation. As players, you don't. As characters, you do. Let's, let, uh, if, if anyone's getting bored of or, or uncomfortable with this, like you have a license to step back and discuss it with me and I want to check in frequently and make sure this is still fun because it can be fun. And like having everyone of equal of, of equal authority can lead to lead to some pretty boring scenes. Mm. Whereas if you have someone as high status and someone as low status, and then you can you, you can mess with that so like you can swap statuses halfway through, or like the high status person has certain roles to perform and you can laugh at them or enjoy them, and like it it kind of guides the scene in terms of status rather than your standard role playing games where everyone has the same status. Which and it just doesn't it doesn't push a scene forward. And you can also just change the setting. So the rogue trader <laughs> is very very useful wandering about the halls of the elite. Mm. But then you stick him in a in a slum, and like mm. his solid gold nose is looking to be very <laughs> good pickings for everybody around town. I I'd really quite like the idea. Of like 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 the game starts with the rogue trader being stolen. <laughs> We have to go rescue him whilst doing his job. All of his teeth are gold. His fingernails what? are gold. What? What? You mean? You mean he was robbed? No. He was. No. He's been. He's been stolen. He's been burgled. <laughs> he was taken from his phone late last night, <laughs> along with his telly and his CDs. So it's a kidnapping. No, we think this is purely monetary. Yeah. Um, if uh, I, I, I believe they're trying to discard the fleshy parts. They <laughs> see that as evidence they don't want. Uh, ask me a question. I will ask you a question. Zimrilim asks, how do you make a character death meaningful? Well, that's quite a big literary question, isn't it? Yeah. I guess people have to care about the character. I think that's it, isn't it? Don't kill like, them instantly. If, kill them after they care. Make it worse. You should also you should make everyone a person in your game. Um, if you want death to be meaningful, make people people. Yeah. If you don't care, make them orcs or just mooks or whatever, and then you could like you can do the kill on them, and that's fine. It doesn't matter. They're just, they're just a bag of XP to do the thing with. They're just a means of you showing off. But I mean, this is want... this is specifically character death. Well, oh, shit. Uh, well, I mean, non-player characters are still characters, but we'll assume he means player characters. Yeah. Dude, I don't know because it relies so much on the on the player. It does. It's about that um, bonding experience to your to, yeah. to your to your PC. Yeah, and and like and 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 like more importantly, like with the other PCs around the table and like the, and the other NPCs for it to matter. If you make it meaningful in that way, like I guess don't make it random. 
Yeah. Unless I mean, that's part of the game. Powered by the Apocalypse does death moves. Yeah, death moves are fun. Those um, are cool. They give you fact. they give you something to really spice up the character death rather than just, oh, looks like I got a seven. Bye. We we had a bash on that at Spire. Yeah, we've got a couple of those, but they're fallout. It's kind of fun. Um I so like so like definitely giving characters a last chance to do something rather than being like saving Private Ryan shot in the head and collapsing. Yeah. Giving the chance to do something heroic or cowardly or just one last thing. It's like, okay, this is the last thing you're ever going to do. Do it. That strikes me as important. But yeah, it, it does depend on the game. Like, for instance, Dungeon Crawl Classics. Mm. There's, there's no... Or even Call of Cthulhu. There's no point really getting attached to your character. No. Because they're going to die. That's the whole point of the game. But then, but then, like, at that point, is it, is it more exciting getting attached to them? Because then, cause then you want them to survive. I suppose Dungeon Crawl Classics, No. That's that's more of a board game. Yeah, but Call of Cthulhu, yes. Mm. Um, I had a great analogy and it disappeared. Um, oh no, it's yeah, run off. Just disappeared. Found it. Sort 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 pretty dog. <laughs> <laughs> that dog got a string of sausages. It must have been near a butcher. <laughs> Come back, dog. But in Call of Cthulhu, share your sausages with me. If you don't get attached to your character, then character death becomes meaningless. Yeah. And it's more fun that way. But it's really hard to make characters meaningful, like, as a broad statement. Because mm. it's so personal to each person playing. I guess just time is the other thing. Like, if you invest a lot of time into a character, it's going to be at least a ball ache when they die. <laughs> yes. But I think as well, like, uh, if you want to make character death meaningful, you have to show what's missing in the world. Because, like, the, like, like the, the old analogy is, it's like, it's like you, you shouldn't be scared of death because you won't be around to experience it. Hmm. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't actually matter if you die because other people are going to deal with that shit. But you're not. It's a very selfish way of looking at things. But then again, you'll be dead, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're, you know, you're out the running in terms of this. But the great thing about role playing games is, after your character dies, you get to see what happens. You effectively get to go to your own funeral. Very true, actually. I've had some touching funerals in games yeah. for both players and NPCs. Yeah. I think that having having the capacity to show show the character's effect show the, the 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 effect of the character's death on the world is important and so being and so like at that point you need to have a character who does affect the world when they die but having npcs ask after them oh where's john ah oh, john john got eaten by uh, by a key he was tr- he was trying to ride it to alpha century you're stuck on the space horses aren't you? mate my next my, my next pc my next player character is going to be a bioq. <laughs> in a dark se- a, se- a sexy, charismatic bioq. <laughs> Google a picture of them later and just see if you can put sexy on them. Right. You told me it looked it looked like a gaunt dragon horse. I don't if there's if I don't want to get balls in deep in that. I'm not Grant Howard. Okay. I'm I'm not Grant. I don't <laughs> want to get balls I'm in saving that soundbite for for future reference. <laughs> Just play it when you introduce a bio key. And I'm like, well, I did say. Yep, this is happening. Hand me the jetpack. <laughs> I'm going to space bone this. I'm going to fuck that star horse. <laughs> I think that's a Nine Inch Nails album. <laughs> oh, give me another question. I'm hungry for them. Okay, a mysterious stranger seen through a haze of smoke in a seedy bar. They speak softly into the ear of a passing waiter, gesturing in your direction. He attends you, offering a bottle of exquisite champagne and a question. Which dice would be the most considerate lover? See, there we go. There was one about putting your dick in things. Thank you. <laughs> this this mysterious stranger should know they wrote in with several um, questions to our uh, to our web form. And they've just got the most 
delicious intros. Yes. They are so good. Okay. Can we just go with a standard five or six dice, please? Yes. None of this D32 bullshit. No, none of that. That's far too kinky for my life. <laughs> it's disgusting. That's what that is. Standard, standard meat and potatoes D10 fucking, please. <laughs> so is it D10? Nah, it's not D10. D10's too vanilla. I think... I mean, I think that I love... I love curvy dice. Thick dice. I love curvy dice. I love thick dice. And so a D12, I think, is just gonna... You know, there's, there's, there's more to love on a D12. They're round. Like, I mean... I- with you Soft. on D12s, to be honest with you? It seems... I don't know about it. It seems... D12s, I think, are the cutest dice. Because mm. everything else is just kind of a normal shape. Or two, or it has too many triangles on it. <laughs> or they're very sharp. They're very sharp. I don't want to put a D4 anywhere near my genitals. No. Except to balance one on the end. <laughs> it's like a little hat. <laughs> it's a wizard, look. Come back. We've all done it. <laughs> Making a dice tower when you're bored during a game, <laughs> bouncing on the end of your erect penis. <laughs> you've got like a little, you've got the DM screen, everybody just thinks you're looking at your notes. <laughs> <laughs> Until the dice tower comes up to your head. It's sort of wobbling back and forth. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No one do anything on arousing. <laughs> Can I borrow a D10? No, you cannot. It'll be on the end of the tower, it's fine. It's like the bottom of the tower is all my dice. <laughs> Um, I like we're not talking most considerate lover. We're talking. I mean, that that's, I mean, that's just, literally like, the wording one? in the question. Sorry, sorry. This, this is the thing. Like, that's like, we weren't talking about it. No. We, we were just saying which which dice we want to fuck, and that is that is that is not what the question was. No, which would be the most considerate lover? What do you think? Well, what do you think would be the most considerate lover? Um, the D six has had a lot of practice. Mm. I also feel like the D6, in terms of being like a good partner, I get, I get, I get the sense that the D6, like they're gonna, they're gonna go out and work to support you. Mm. They're gonna help. That's true. They're like, they're not, and, and like, and like, you know, if you're, if, if, if you're both working, you know, proper full time jobs, they're not gonna expect you to do your like, more than your fair share of the dishes, more than your fair share of the chores that like help out with childcare. Yeah. I think, I, the D- imagine, I think the D6 imagine, is a pretty solid answer for that. Imagine D6... I mean, honestly, it sounds like D6 is the best husband, not most considerate lover. And again, <laughs> we haven't answered the question again. We keep doing that with dice, with dice sex questions. Okay, so... Fuck the D12. Marry, marry the, D6, the D6. Kill the D4. the D4. Yeah, okay, cool. Now, ask me a question. Prumble asks... My friends and I adore multi-session adventures but have very different schedules. As a result, we have a lot of unrelated, half-finished stories which we can't continue until the right combination of people is available. I loved your idea of a caravan of monster hunters going from town to town. Do you have any other suggestions for framing narratives to support adventures where the characters come and go all the time? Thank you for saying you love our idea. That's mainly why I included it. (laughs) Thank you, Prumble. Mm. Should, Should we write that down in some way and try and sell it for money? Or should we just leave it as a perfect idea, never, never completed? Perfect idea, never realised. Love it. Crossover episode, but it would have to be all crossover episodes. So no, d- d- disregard that. Uh, let's think of fun things, f- fun reasons for you not to be there every week. So because we've been talking about Delta Green, mm-hmm. uh, something like you've been sent, like people are being sent on different missions, mm. and it's only when it's only unique skill sets get put together for certain tasks. It's- that's one option. I think it would still be difficult to pull people out of a mission halfway through. Oh, that's true, yeah. 
uh, a shared dream space. The game takes place in in the collective dream space, the Jungian collective Ooh. consciousness. Is that right? You did philosophy, probably. He's a psychologist. It's your, it's your fucking dick. Oh yeah, okay. It takes place in the overdream, and so the urdream. The urdream. Uh, when you wake up, you just disappear. That works. It's not I quite like, like that actually. It's not brilliant, but there's but like or, or like or like Planescape, for example, like uh it uh, the game takes place in the city of in the city of doors, you know, um for Sigil? Sigil, it? yeah. Sigil. Um and then you're 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 all travellers from different parts of the world. You're uh, you've come here to the cosmopolitan from different parts of the plains of the world. You've come to this cosmopolitan city, but then if you spend too like if you spend too long away from your home plane, you start to you start to destabilize and, and sort of bamf back there. Yeah, that's cool. So I you've mean, got you've, that. You've got you kind of got precedent for that in um, Cthulhu and stuff like that, where you've got the dreamlands mm. um, often being only be accessible when you have access to certain drugs. Right, that's nice. Like the Matrix. Like the Matrix. Mm. So you have to be in the right location, in the right mindset, and have the right drug. On drugs the right drug, yeah. To get anything to work at all. So that explains why people are there. They literally can't get hold of the drugs, or they've run out, or... Um, you are part of a specialist club. It is, it is a, it's, 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 like, it's like a gentleman's club, but obviously ladies can join as well. So it's, it's an exclusive club. And um, it's the sort of like high leather armchairs, uh, spotted dick, um, iron newspapers sort of thing. Except the club teleports randomly to areas that have the most adventure in. <laughs> adventure it's, hotspots. Yeah, so it's, it's a bit like uh, the Century Club from Spirit, the Spirit of the Century, actually. Yeah, I, I believe I haven't read it. Um, but you have you have this teleporting club, which um, which like they they throw up and they throw up in the curtains, and your uh, the, 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 the 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 butler brings you tea. So here we are, sir. Dar es Salaam this morning, as, as it appears. Oh, that's quite nice. And there's and, and 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 so like the club, which is run by the management, which is a, which is a shadowy interdimensional uh, intelligence bound up in the in the management's office, uh, teleports you places where where adventure needs to be done and crime needs to be fought. So you're you're sort of running around duffing up Nazis and occasionally doing crimes like stealing ancient artifacts from civilizations. Yeah, I mean there is there is a difficult uh, that, that that's why I try to steer it back towards Nazism rather than saying so. It's like it's like Doctor Who but colonial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is Doctor Who's kind of colonial. I don't know. Doctor Who crosses Maybe Indiana not. Jones. Yes, it belongs in a museum in my country. Indi- Indiana Who. That's the thing I always got like it belongs in a museum. But it belongs in, in a museum in America. It belongs with me. <laughs> belongs in my bank account. I'm going to destroy this entire temple to rescue this one thing which belongs in a museum. I am half archaeologist, half deck bag. <laughs> sack of shit. Indiana Jones. A real sack of shit. <laughs> we were really hoping that maybe we could date some of the bones there. Fuck you! <laughs> I got the crystal skull. Go to hell. But we could learn so much from the freezes Spin around the walls. Spin on my dick. <laughs> but the parchments. <laughs> it's just like, he's wiping his mouth after eating a load of fried chicken. <laughs> he's burning them for light. Go climb a tree, ugly. <laughs> Go climb a tree. <laughs> just thinking of things he could say. But if you if, if you have yourself as fighting um, evil occultist Nazis, I think that's a pretty safe bet to have. I mean, like then you do have to have a game about Nazis, which is difficult. But hey ho, um, some sort of some sort of wicked conspiracy. Yeah. Um, or like demons. That's a pretty easy one. Maybe it's just demons. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, uh, but you are, but you play people teleporting around the world in a magic club, which occupies certain spaces. And so, like, and like, you'd get around all of the sort of like, oh, do we know anyone who speaks the language? It's like, oh, well, well don't worry. If you, uh, the, the 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 club takes care of that, and it'll provide an interpreter or a magical hat which lets you speak the language. Yeah, and that's something that the uh, what's it called, the strange, mm. tries to bring in, which is kind of like Doctor Who Indiana Jones. Right. Crossed with Quantum Leap. Okay. So you just kind of jump around different settings and systems all the time. Jump around. Jump, 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 jump around. Jump up, jump up and get down. That's the one. Everybody? No, just you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're in all these different cosmoses and realities and stuff. Yeah. So it's quite conceivable that people who aren't there are, are still traveling. Yeah, or they're or like they're they're with the alternate version reality of the party. Yes, doing something broadly similar. Yeah, so you can you can drop people in and out due to various reasons if you've got a reality hopping one. I'm kind of into the idea of the strange. I I, I like I think I'd be more interested in it if the if it didn't have such such a well defined setting, in that it's got like here is the sci fi setting, here is the uh, here's the Arthurian legend setting, here is the mundane setting. I'd much rather that that they just sort of gave us a paragraph about. 200 different universes and let us go hog wild yeah but I do like the way that you've got your core character and then you slot the the universe identity over the top of that yeah it's a really nice conceit it's quite like you you, like you fold up your character sheet and it slots over it's quite it's quite a nice idea but yeah dimension hopping that's that's a really easy way to get around the fact that people don't fucking turn up half the time (laughs) not dungeon crawls as I found out no no that is a nightmare that was a bad plan. Like I even worked out a Big Brother style dungeon where people could be teleported in and out, and everyone was being watched all the time. So it was like a game show, and I figured maybe if a player didn't show up, then you know that's fine. They're just in a different part of the game. But if you've got six players and only two of them fucking show, it's quite hard to have an exciting battle. Yeah, especially, especially if you're halfway through a dungeon that's set up for six players. Yeah, if it's set up for that amount of players, then. Oh yeah. So Grant, I have so. an idea. Right. I have an idea for an actual segment on an actual podcast. Mm, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's not really, I know it's not sure really a this? thing. Is it like a podcast within a podcast? A mini-cast. Mm. Yeah. An iconic... No, that's different. So, what I, what I want to do is to look at RPG products that are out and about in the wild mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and take something cool from those, bit, from those products that you can use in your games. Regardless of whether or not you like the actual product itself, like if mm-hmm. if there's something in Shadowrun that you really think is cool, you can still say Shadowrun. So I was going to say Invasive Procedures. Ah, okay. So Invasive Procedures is an adventure for Fear Itself and Trail of Cthulhu. It's yeah. a gumshoe product. Yeah. Set in, a, set in a creepy hospital and stand Cthulhu stuff happens. Mm-hmm. However, well, honestly... I wouldn't describe it as standard Cthulhu stuff. It's much worse than that. That is true. I mean, it is called Invasive <laughs> Procedures. You can kind of and infer they, a lot. They, they ain't fucking about with a name. No. Um, but one of the really neat things about that is you're all patients in this hospital. And doing any physical activity whatsoever costs you a health point. Mm-hmm. Which is such a neat little rule. It's a tiny little thing. Like, like getting out of bed. That's Getting out of bed. Running. Mm-hmm. Climbing, anything like that, it's just going to straight up cost you a health point. You've got so, so like you've got a limited amount of stuff you can do. Yeah, and doing nothing at a day regains you, I think, four health points. Oh, okay, 
but unfortunately, all those horrible things are happening at night. But you're yeah, but you're kind of against a timer, mm. so you've got to make yourself worse to find out oh. the mystery and, so, and and save yourself. And I think that's so cool. That is kind of clever, and you could definitely farm that out to other games. Yeah, it's not bound up in the system. It's just that little proportional taking from your mm. reserves, just to just to, just to show how dangerous what you're doing is. It would fit with survival horror. Very well, yeah. It would fit with um, you are trying to survive uh, against the odds in the wilderness. Yeah, like a desert, just due, due to the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are... Um, if you've all been infected with the zombie virus... Not the zombie virus. Uh, you've been infected with vampirism. Mm-hmm. And when you hit zero health, you will turn and become a blood-sucking horror. And you have to try and hunt down the vampires who are trying to hunt you down. But going after them is going to cost you health because you're, yeah. you're sick, essentially. You are yeah. infected. That's interesting. I guess like, you'd have to tweet... Like, invasive procedures works quite well because the, like, the, the idea is you want to try and stop it before it happens again and again and again. Yeah, and it, I mean that's a very closed environment. You are sealed mm. in a hospital. You don't have much choice. And you are, mm. in some cases, deathly ill. Yes. Um, so that that really plays up to the theme quite well. Mm. Cool. All right. So do you? What do we do, call this? I don't. What, what, what do we call this segment? I don't know. Um, uh, we had a mild discussion before, and I think Gareth's best bits was the best. Well, none, neither of us are called Gareth. Yes, that's why we I didn't think, use I, it. I think that joke only works if you have all the all, all the all the suggestions that we put forward. Proceeding. Yeah, that's true. Proceeding. Proceeding. So I'd like Taylor's treasures. Taylor's treasures. Nice. Yeah. How about um, specially tailored? I kind of like that because uh, it involves me. Yeah, I've been, I've been wanting to get you more involved in the podcast. <laughs> How about this bit doesn't suck? I like that actually. This bit doesn't suck. Mm. It's edgy and cool. It is. It... I'm tired of being so relentlessly posy on this fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of vitriol and hate. Well, on that subject, do you have anything that you that you like about a system, like a little tidbit? The game is Over the Edge. Okay. Over the Edge is a early 90s role-playing game, which I think came before Vampire, or roughly at the same time as Vampire the, Requ- uh, the Masquerade. It, is a, it, was, it was a fairly big deal in that it was a story game, mm. give or take. Okay. Um, it had, well, sorry, it had very loose um, character um, rules. It, it, you, you wrote your own skill list, you wrote your own abilities, and it was, it was, a, it was a basic D6 system to do the thing, which was entirely against the idea of everything which happened in the 90s, where you'd have a skill list twice as long as your own, yeah. and 300 points to divide between it. And so the, it was, uh, the, the setting is inspired by it's William Burroughs, I think? Okay, Is that right? I don't know, I haven't read any. The junkie guy? Oh, yes. Was, he, was that William Burroughs? No, I don't know. Shit. Sorry. Um, anyway, um, uh, the chap wrote the, ch- the chap wrote Interzone, so it's an awful lot about drug culture and um, about government conspiracies and about there being secrets like directly behind everything and like et- like society being this very thin veil of civilization put across the top of something strange and terrible and uh, and inconceivable. That's a really nice and, setting. Uh, and yeah, uh, and it, it all takes place on this um, on this island called Al Armarja. Uh, which is which is a uh, which is free from international law. Um, <laughs> Always so a good base for an RPG. It's, there, it's ruled. It's 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 ruled by the queen. I believe the queen or the president or something along those lines. No, it's, it's 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 a president, I think, and she is a uh, she is in charge. 
and instead of instead of police force, they have the peace force. Oh, but they carry a lot of guns and shoot people. Oh, okay. They um, but the thing I really like about that game um is uh, it's 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 perhaps a little dated now, but there's a rule uh, in there in which you have to draw your character. You're you're forced to draw your character. You must draw your character in some way, and it's like I can't draw. I don't care. Fucking draw your character, says Jonathan Tweed, yelling directly at the reader and the player. <laughs> um, and the and and the idea is that once you draw your character, even if it's just a terrible stick figure sketch, whatever, that then solidifies them as a person. Okay. In your head, like it 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 gives you a mental image that you can refer to when you're talking about them. And so that's like I I use that in in Goblin Quest for example. You have to draw a goblin, otherwise you can't play it. Yes, yeah, you literally have to. There, it's part of the character sheet. And uh, which is dead. Uh, there, there, there's a nice big space to draw a little magical woodland creature, and it's always nice to draw a little magical woodland creature when you're playing that. And yeah, so yes, the drawing stuff applies to almost every game. Yeah, I think that's a really good concept though of trying yeah. to, as you say, solidify the image of the character. Yeah. Um, and I mean. A lot of people pl- do do that with their games, and they kind of farm it out. They they find a picture online mm, of somebody that's, they that's, like. That's still pretty cool. I like. I, I I've got a lot of time for people, especially like GMs who have uh ca- like they cast NPCs. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really nice touch. It works especially well when you're dealing in sort of 1920s Call of Cthulhu because you've got these huge archives of people. Just pictures of black and white. Yeah, and they all look vaguely yeah. sinister just because that's how photography worked. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know, I think like it, it, it works very well for modern day games. I think I'd really struggle um, trying to do, say, Spire or Dungeons & Dragons by casting people. Yes, uh, yeah, no, that is like, fair. Like, here is my... Here's my person because it would either look like the actor or the character. Yeah, and stock images rarely look like the right kind of person. We uh, we're interested in doing a one of the most interesting things that's come, that's come out of the development of Spire is the is the um, capacity for players to build what they call murder boards. <laughs> yes, and that they will and that they'll get a cork board or a whiteboard. Um, and then start like drawing up the names of NPCs and doing connections between them and planning who they're going to murder, who they're going to try and subvert, who they're going to uh, rob, that sort of thing. Mm. And so we, uh, for the for the high society adventure, we're interested in getting sort of like portraits done for all the NPCs. Yeah, but like 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 the sort of portrait that that NPC would commission. Yeah, the sort they'd hang over their own mantelpiece. Yeah, so you can print that out and have it, and then sort of connect them via via your red string. And I think I think that's there's a lot to be had there by having a visual representation rather than just a, a, a selection of numbers. Yeah, and I mean, if you're doing a modern day campaign, you can do other stuff like just looking up bizarre clothing. Just I'll just take pictures of people on the bus. Yeah, just just stalk people in the streets. That's that's perfectly fine, if, isn't it? I think I think it's not a crime. I guess it's not a crime. It can't be a crime, can it? I mean, you're not you're not stealing anything from anyone. I mean, I mean, photographers take pictures of people all the time. I think you either have to have their permission if it's a person, or not their permission if you're taking a picture of a thing. But so if you're taking about, a picture of the Birmingham Museum of Art, yeah, and people are in the way, mm. that's fine. Get out of the way! What about what about paparazzi though? Because they take pictures of people, and pictures, and, and people are all like, "Oh, I don't have my picture taken. I'm having red onions with my with my best dog." I admit, I don't know the legality of it. I guess um, apparently Daniel Radcliffe, by the way, um, when he, when he was acting in a play uh, for in, in London for for a month between a period of a month and three months, he wore exactly the same clothes every day when he was leaving the uh, the theatre. Right. Because because then 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 the photographs became unusable. Oh, that's wonderful. 
Because like, they just look like exactly the same pictures from yesterday. Oh, that... I, I have a lot of time well for. Done, Very clever. Daniel. Well done. Mm. Good work, Potter. Yeah. Anyway, we should wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. If you've enjoyed this, you can give us some money. Go to patreon.com forward slash hearty dice friends, sling us a dollar or two, and we'd like that very much. Helps us run the show, helps us keep food in our bellies and on our tables. You can also follow us on Twitter at HDF Podcast, and you can send us an email through heartydicefriends at gmail.com. Also, gonna ask you now, this week, could you give us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app it's you're on? Super useful, turns out. Yeah, it means people notice us. Mm. And if you, um, so like, definitely tell your friends, but yeah, more importantly, tell iTunes you like us. Yeah. That would be really cool if you could do that. And in exchange, if if you write a review, we'll, um, shit, Chris, what, what can we do? Um, shit. Um, we will, uh, we, we will, we will record ourselves doing kiss noises. <laughs> <laughs> um, and send them. Nah, probably people don't want Some that. Some really they? creepy ASMR from two white dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Listen. If you give us a review and send us a screenshot of this five star review, we will we will send you a copy of our specially recorded ASMR um, MP3. Okay. Okay. So we have to record that. Yeah, we're going to do it now. Oh God. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>